were invited to get out your Bible or Bible app and go to today's reading, which is from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. And Bibles are available now in the back of the chairs. And if you need one, please feel free to take one with you. And now today's scripture, John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Then the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying on your own behalf. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. Because I know where I have come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards where I, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is valid. For it is not I alone who judge but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is valid. I testify on my own behalf, and the Father who sent me testifies on my behalf. Then they said to him, Where is your Father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while he was teaching in the treasury of the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not come. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Elaine. I invite you to keep your Bibles or your Bible app open. As we go through the scripture today, I have my Bible marked, but Olivia took it with her, so I'll have to use this one, which is fine, totally fine. We are in, of course, John chapter 8 this morning. Let's take a deep breath, and let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Thank you, dear. <laughs> 
Several years ago now, I was invited to officiate a wedding at an outdoor venue on a lovely spring day. Sarah, I'm hearing a little bit of an echo. It may not bother anyone else, but <laughs> how is that? Is that better? Okay, thank you. So I was invited to officiate this wedding outdoors on a lovely spring day, and when I arrived at the venue and I approached the owner with my book of worship in one arm and my wedding stole in the other, he said, oh, hi, you must be the wedding planner. <laughs> no, I said, I'm the pastor. I'm here to officiate the wedding. I watched as a blank stare turned into a look of confusion and then one of embarrassment. Now, this is a progression of facial expressions I've become pretty familiar with because it happens every time I'm mistaken for the secretary or the childcare worker or the home health nurse. Now, there is nothing wrong with any of those professions, but I am not one of those people, and I'm never assumed to be the pastor, ever. We make snap judgments, and we make them every day, and we make them quickly because of our past experiences and our preconceived notions. They necessarily affect what we see. In the first part of John chapter 8, Jesus goes into the temple early in the morning, and he witnesses some religious leaders dragging a woman in to be accused of being unfaithful to her husband. They tell Jesus that the religious law, the law of Moses, demands that this woman be put to death because she betrayed her marriage commitment. And then they ask Jesus, what would you do about it? The leaders were trying to use Jesus, use the situation to trip Jesus up by inviting him to misrepresent the law, at least the way they understood it. And so as they keep talking, Jesus reaches down to the ground and he moves the sand around with his finger. Now, some people interpret this movement as drawing a line in the sand, but the text actually says that he writes something. Now, we don't know what he wrote. He could have written down her name and what she was accused of doing. He could have written down her list of accusers. He could have written down their sin. We just don't know. But the action does mirror the etching of the Ten Commandments on stone tablets by the hand of God. And the point is, Jesus has the authority to interpret the law. He demonstrates this truth by famously saying, Let anyone among you without sin cast the first stone. One by one, the accusers drop their stones and walk away. And after Jesus grants the woman freedom from both sin and death, he begins teaching again to the crowd who must not have gone very far. It is to this group, it is to this group of people that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Today serves as the second week of our current worship series, I Am Seeing Life Through Stained Glass. These messages are based on the seven I Am statements that we find in the Gospel of John but we also find six of them in the stained glass windows that are behind you here in the sanctuary. Some of you already know that these windows originally graced the sanctuary of St. Paul's United Methodist Church in Hobbs. That church is now permanently closed. So in the relocation of these windows to Morningstar, the light of Christ and the good work of that particular congregation lives on. 
And so the story continues. Last week, we talked about the bread of life. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life in chapter 6 of John. And we discussed the truth that when we feed each other, when we feed each other at the communion table or any time we break bread together, we are nourishing our bodies and our souls. We are nourishing our relationships. So that brings us to the next statement. And this one is found, of course, in chapter 8. I am the light of the world. And as we keep reading, we discover that Jesus is not speaking about shedding light on what we see with our eyes as much as what we see with our hearts. It's an important point because in those days, light was often used as a metaphor for anything that was good and safe and moral. Darkness then bore responsibility for evil, chaos, and mischief. These days, we are learning from our friends who are people of color that such language can be problematic. It can perhaps unintentionally reinforce stereotypes and unexamined biases against people with dark skin. Now, I recognize that I just made some of you uncomfortable simply by referencing the color of skin. And you can rest assured we're not going to talk about politics this morning, but it is important that we acknowledge the experiences and pain of our siblings in Christ, whether or not we fully understand it. Something that I've learned about pain in my years as a person and as a pastor is that if somebody says they're hurting, you can't tell them they're not. So in this case, it does not mean that we need to stop reading verses that refer to darkness and light. We'd have to cut out over half of the Bible. What it means is that we read these verses, we acknowledge pain that they might cause today by the way we have interpreted them in the past, and we focus on the main point. In this case, Jesus is not talking about literal light or darkness. He's talking about what it means to have our hearts and our minds open to seeing people beyond the details of the surface. So let's take the woman who was caught cheating, for example. We don't even know if she was guilty, right? Many men in those days would accuse their wives of such a thing so that by her death they could escape their own marriage commitment. And let's be honest, even if she was guilty, there is no way she could have committed that particular crime by herself. Yet she was the only one who is held up as an example, exposed as something less than human. And that's why Jesus says, as you can see in your Bibles in verse 12, if you're reading along, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What he's talking about here is one of the reasons that he came to earth. He reads about it from the scroll of Isaiah in Luke chapter 6. He came to bring sight to the blind. And that refers to us as well in our own blind spots. He came to save us and make us whole. And part of that becoming whole includes being given the ability to see our blind spots and a willingness to change our view. But we human beings, we don't really like to admit that we even have blind spots, and we certainly aren't interested in examining them. So some people in the crowd, they immediately come back to Jesus with, who do you think you are? Right, Sherry? Who do you think you are? It's your word against everyone else's. There is no one here to support your claim. But these particular people were known as Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, they get a bad rap, but they were not bad people. They were lay leaders 
in the Jewish religion, and they had become experts in the law of Moses. They believed in the resurrection of the life after death, and they had been given a certain amount of power by the Roman governors because they were able to keep their own Jewish people in line. They could already see that Jesus would not be one to stay put. In their opinion, he was playing fast and loose with the very law and tradition they were trying to protect. And so they challenge him on the technicality that there is no one there to support his story. At that time, the witness of one person would automatically be considered to be invalid. But that's not an issue for Jesus because he is never alone. That's the point that he's making. If you turn to verse 18 in the passage of John chapter 8, let me see if I can find it here in my own Bible. Verse 18, it says, I testify on my own behalf, and the Father who sent me testifies on my behalf. This argument supports our notion of the Trinity. This classic sign of our faith demonstrates that while the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit or the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer, if that's your preference, while they flow in and out of each other and are one united person, they are also three distinct persons, which means when one of them testifies, you actually get three testimonies. Jesus is testifying, but he has two testimonies to back him up. And each person of the Trinity has an association with the light that Jesus is professing to be. God speaks light into being in the creation story. The light of a bright star guides the wise people to Jesus after his birth. And the Holy Spirit is manifest in the light of fire in the early church. This does not mean that darkness is inherently bad. It just means that we need guidance to see clearly. We need guidance to see not just with our eyes, but with our hearts. Darkness can represent not evil, but the unknown. Darkness represents the unknown that is revealed to us when we are ready to really open our eyes and see what God is up to in our lives and in the world. So it's that moment before the revelation It's the moment before the revelation that causes Jesus to hit the pause button on judgment. To judge is to form an opinion through careful weighing of evidence and testing of the premises. But it is absolutely 100% impossible for any human being to be completely objective about anything. So we naturally fill in the gaps and we jump to conclusions based on our experiences, our assumptions, and our unchecked biases. That's why it never occurs to some of us that the woman in the dress at the wedding could be the pastor. Or worse, that the woman accused of betraying her husband could be innocent. And we all do it. We all judge. Let me ask you something. I'm going to play a little game. How long does it take to form a first impression of someone? 30 seconds, 10 seconds, 1 second, or 1 tenth of a second? I'm hearing all of the answers. That's great. The answer is 1 tenth of a second. Well, that's less time than it takes us to blink. We judge people so quickly. Now, 
How many decisions do we make about each other within the first seven seconds of meeting for the first time? 100, 30, 11, or one? Jason? Oh, he knows, because <laughs> he read the sermon. <laughs> 11. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but think about it. We're talking about seven seconds. So that's, that's more than two decisions per second. I mean, we're, I'm almost two decisions per second we're talking about here. Almost two dec- decisions per second that we make when we meet people. We draw conclusions so quickly. What facial expression is generally judged as trustworthy? Happy? Upturned or raised eyebrows? An upward curve of the mouth or all of the above? Yeah, all of the above. That's right. So we tend to trust people who look pleasant. Think about that for a minute. We tend to trust people who look pleasant. So let me ask you this. True or false, we can alter our facial expression to make ourselves appear trustworthy. Absolutely. Just our facial expressions, okay? Next question. We can alter our facial expressions to make ourselves appear competent. False. So let's think about this. People cannot trick us into thinking that they are competent or reliable at first sight, but we're so quick to judge based on appearances that we might already trust them anyway. Did you catch that? They can't trick us into thinking that they're reliable, but we are so quick to judge on appearance that we might already trust them anyway just because they look pleasant. Or we could completely write off honest people because of how they look and never give them a chance. This is why Jesus speaks of the dangers of judging by human standards. His point is that we're not supposed to judge at all. And he ties his authority to make that statement to the God who gave the law to the Pharisees in the first place. And he points out what the Pharisees cannot yet see themselves. Him. They can't see him. If you knew me, you would know my father, he says in verse 19. The implication being that if we know the teachings of Jesus, if we know the word of God, then the Holy Spirit will reveal to us what it is we really need to see. So that's our part in this story, to get to know God through our daily practices and our experiences, to to read the holy text and to connect the truth of the text with our daily living. Because the truth is, beloved, The light of the world shines brightly every day. We just have to be willing to have our eyes opened so that we can see it. Amen? Amen. We have come to the time in our service when we pray together. In our worship bags for our kids, they will find a wooden cross, which I think mine is still somewhere here from the last time I used it. Hey, Augie, Mara, Sophia, Olivia, you can put the wooden cross in your hand just like that. Yeah, And it's a reminder that we're holding God's hand and we're connected to each other when we pray. So let's take a deep breath.
Let us pray. God of sunrises and sunsets, in the midst of what feels like an eternal night of the soul, we praise you, for you are the one who gives us each new day. When the disciples felt the despair of Holy Saturday, when Jesus was inside the tomb, you were there. And soon the light of the new day would arise and your triumph over death and despair would be brought to light. Thank you. Thank you for always being a light in the despairing places of the world and in the challenging places of our lives. Our hope is in you, for you are the light of the world, and you call us to shine that light for others. May your love be revealed to them through us. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.